welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Amen, amen. How many of us can sing about the goodness of our God? Goodness doesn't mean we get what we want, right? We have to trust him. I'd like to, um, I'm going to get right to it this morning. You can remain standing because we're going to read. It's a blessing just to be back in the house of the Lord today. Um, Such a blessing. It's uh, it's been a long time. Uh, This is the light at the end of the tunnel. We begin to to begin to worship together, to begin to connect. On that note, I would like to uh, just offer a thank. You on behalf of myself, my family. Uh, it's a month ago today that my father passed away unexpectedly, and uh, Epiphany Fellowship has shown up um, in, in an amazing way. I can't find a better word than amazing. If I could, I would use it. But uh, you've truly been a healthy, uh, loving community for us um, over the miles that we travel back and forth. In so many ways, you've blessed us. So I thank you uh, for that. I'd like to uh, just thank Pastor Mason and the other elders for this opportunity to stand before you. And with that, I'd like to get into the word today. How about that? Let's get into the word. Uh, If you could turn with me to uh, Ephesians chapter five. Ephesians chapter five is simple, verses uh, one and two. They said in the old church, when you're there, say amen. If you're not there, say hold up. If you don't know where to go, just be quiet. <laughs> um, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Let's read it together. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Uh, If you'd uh, labor with me now for just a few moments, I'd like to uh, speak from the topic of the call to imitate God. The call to imitate God. Let us pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you uh, once again for this day, this time. Thank you, Lord, for uh, just being so consistent and always pursuing, always loving your goodness and, and mercy or more than we can, we can even express. So I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for uh, giving up yourself and rescuing us restoring us to you. We thank you, Lord, for uh, this opportunity. I pray, Lord, that you would just use me today as your vessel. Speak through me. Your word has all the power. So I pray, Lord, that you would just be with us. Give us wisdom and understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, um, like I said, it's been, a, it's been a difficult, as you can imagine, a difficult month for our family. Um, as I look at this passage of scripture, I've loved it for a long time, but I think I, the, the parental bent that I'll take on this message kind of came from some of the circumstances that we've gone through as a family over the past month or so, uh, from losing my dad and seeing myself as a, as a son uh, and how I was parented and, and grieving that loss to just being in this season where our kids are in transition. Our oldest just graduated from high school and literally this last week, because of a summer program he's in, he's off to college. So um, our, uh, 
He also this week swore in with the old National Guard unit that I served with, so he's starting another phase in life, and we're so excited about that. Uh, our uh, oldest daughter is moving on to her senior year, and, and the other two are close behind. So in this season, it's a time, I don't know if, if parents have been through that stage, it seems like it happened so fast. Like, where did the time go? What did I give? What kind of parent was I? And I think in these parental terms, when I, when I focus on the season I'm in, it takes a, a, a weightier way to look at this passage of scripture. Um, I think back when, we, uh, when I was first, uh, uh, first became a father, one of the lessons the Lord, one of the first lessons the Lord taught me uh, was in taking care of the kids one day. Um, I uh, played football through high school and college, and I used to, uh, I wasn't a receiver, I didn't catch, I kind of used my hands to sort of fight it out. So I would jam my fingers up all the time during the season. Uh, it usually be one or two knuckles would be mangled and bloodied and bruised or whatever. And it's just kind of uh, par for the course. This um, index finger right here, I guess it's hard for you to see it, but it actually doesn't even straighten out anymore. It's kind of bent. So I don't even, I can't even point straight with that finger. Um, so one day when I'm uh, taking care of the kids, I'm, uh, I'm parenting at home. Um, I've set up the oldest two. They were too young probably even in talking full sentences. I set them up in their high chairs, right? They're strapped in. You guys are young parents, I mean, young children, you know how that works. You strap them in, you get the bib on, sippy cups ready. I turn on the TV and uh, I'm getting this food ready. And as I'm bringing it in, uh, oldest two, uh, my son and daughter are having this like deep conversation about what they see on TV. So I hear my daughter say, that Elmo? And my son's like, no, that's not Elmo. And he's pointing at the TV. And so as he's pointing, I notice his fingers kind of bent, you know, like, I was like, all right. I didn't think much of it. I served them. We moved on. Later on, I, I know they're playing, and um, we uh, set up the, those of you who uh, have young children, again, you might recognize that gate, right? You set them up in a room. You trap them in so they don't hurt themselves. So I trapped them in, and, uh, you know, out comes a toy flying out of the room. And as they're both pointing, they're both kind of bending their finger. It's like, what is this? And then it hits me, like, oh, they're, they're, they're mimicking me. That's, the, that's my finger. And at first, it's really hilarious, but uh, later, I just – as I reflect on it now, and, and even then, I see the Lord was showing me an abject lesson about uh, what parenting is all about and this image making, this imitating that we talk about here. The lesson he showed me through that experience is that children are always watching and imitating their parents, even the damaged part of their parents. In this case, our two little ones, I mean, they were perfectly healthy. They have flexible fingers. They could have easily pointed straight, but they made a decision to bend because of my brokenness. I always dreamed of the day that, you know, I could offer these deep truths. From the time I was a father, anticipating even being a father, oh, I'm going to have these deep conversations with my kids. I'm going to share with them how much God loves them and cares for them. They're not going to make the same mistakes I make. They're not going to take the same pitfalls and make the, uh, the, do the things that I did. But before I could even have a, a coherent conversation, <laughs> dig into the theology with them, they were doing what they saw me do. Um, no matter how much we try, I think uh, all of us in some way are like my bent, mangled, broken finger. You know, we're, we're, we are mangled. We are broken because of sin in our lives, right? But praise be to God, this passage tells us that we got a father that has no brokenness, right? We got a father that has no bend. He's always loving. He's perfect. He's the perfect parent. And that's who we're called to imitate. From the text we see, in order to imitate this loving God, our perfect parent, we must do three things. We must know we are loved, we must walk in love, and we must die for love. 
Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. To know we are loved is to embrace identity as God's dearly loved children. Paul's direction to imitate, it's not a glorification of childish behavior. We know Paul teaches in many in other passages of scripture. We can even look back to chapter four of this same book, this same letter. He says, then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching. He consistently warns against perpetual childhood, right? He teaches us to mature, to go from milk to meat. In his, in his letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, 11, he says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. You guys know this, right? He, I reasoned like a child, but I, when I became a man, I put away childish things. That's the old school, that, I think this verse is childhood behind me, but you learn it how you learn it, right? The focus isn't on the child, it's on the parent. His reference here is about the loving father, this loving father that is abounding in love. And if you don't have a loving father abounding in love, we are not called to imitate. For he chose in him. We can go back to the, essentially the letter of Ephesians. It's a beautiful letter. If you look at it, there's six chapters. The first three kind of break down the doctrine. If you want to use that for a key word, it talks about how God rescued us, where we were, how we were lost. And then the next three kind of get into duties or the work we should have to do. To, uh, to essentially receive the gift that he's given us. Well, if we look, at, uh, if we look back at chapter 1, at the beginning of this uh, letter, he says in verse 4, For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure for his will. These, wills, this, these words sorry, assure us that we are his adopted sons and daughters. We belong to him. Christ has redeemed us, and he's given us a full inheritance, a full inheritance by his blood, and we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Understanding whose we are, not who we are, but whose we are, will give us the basis for understanding what we are to imitate or who we are to imitate. You know, a loving parent is always, well, I'm sorry, a loving parent will, will um, give all they have to show love to their child. I was watching a... Um, uh, some celebrities on one of those uh, talk shows, they were talking, and this guy actually said, you know, it, it was a powerful, powerful testimony. He said that when he had his daughter, he could never swim. He learned how to swim when he had his daughter because he couldn't imagine her falling in the water and him not being able to save her. Um, it, it's wonderful if you have parents that show that kind of love and that concern about you, but maybe you've been disappointed by your parents because of their own brokenness and you don't feel beloved. They have chosen their career hobbies over you, and you feel the weight of that decades later. Maybe you can't share the good news of a job promotion or a relationship. You can't get the, the trusted advice from your parents because you don't trust them. You don't, they can't experience, you can't experience the ups and downs of your life with them because your relationship is broken in some way. Maybe you've been abused by your parents or your relationship was dependent on what you did and not who you were. Perhaps you had loving parents, but they passed away. You don't have someone to take out to dinner for Mother's Day or Father's Day. You miss them deeply, and the silence of their absence is deafening. I truly can relate to this now because I want to call my dad. I want to reach out to him, but I can't. He's not there. I can't hold them, and I can't reach out to him for God. Had, uh, he, he preached for 60 years, and here I am preaching my first sermon on a Sunday morning, and I can't speak to him about that. And there's pain there, right? But I know i got a loving father. No matter how old you are, you never outgrow needing, wanting, or missing a loving parent. 
In verse 1 of our text, Paul's making it clear that we have a heavenly father that does love us unconditionally. He remembers, or sorry, he reminds us that by God's grace, not only have we been redeemed through the shed blood of Jesus, we also have a father that loves us. We aren't ignored or abused or abandoned. We are loved. You are a child that is loved by God, who is the perfect parent. So if your parents were harsh or critical, you need to rehearse this truth. You are a child that is loved by God. If your parents abused you, you need to rehearse this truth. You are a child that is loved by God. If your parents leave you in death, in life, even in sickness, you are his child and you are loved by God. Even if you have amazing parents, God is still the best parent. You are a child, you are his child, and you are loved by God. Embracing our identity as dearly loved children is the basis for which the command to imitate is made. We have been adopted into God's family, and we are his beloved children. His love has now been poured onto our hearts by the Holy Spirit, and we should reproduce the family likeness. So in order to imitate God, not only do we have to know we are loved, we also have to walk in love. Let's look at verse 2. And walk in love as Christ also loved us. Now we begin to see what imitating God really means. we got to walk it out. These are the action steps we have to take. Paul uses the term imitate often in his teaching. In 1 Corinthians, Philippians, his letter to the Thessalonians, he encourages churches to follow him as he follows Christ. Paul is probably one of the most dedicated men in the Bible to his walk and his dedication to following, to following the Lord's will wholeheartedly in his life. He strived to live a Christian lifestyle and wanted churches to imitate him. But this is the actual only place in the Bible where we're told to imitate God or be imitators of God. That's not to say that we aren't told to follow God wholeheartedly. There's many examples of that in the Bible. One of my favorite is Caleb. Uh, if you know the story of Caleb from the, uh, from the Old Testament, when the children of Israel were rescued from their enslavement with Egypt, uh, they basically had to spy out the promised land. The Lord was ready to take them over, and they sent out 12 spies, one from each of the uh, tribes or the families. And these two, Joshua and Caleb, had the courage to say, let's take the land. But 10 said, no, we're like grasshoppers to them. We can't do it. So many times in the Bible... Caleb was, or so many times in, the, in this passage or in these, this series of scriptures, we see Caleb speaking up, following the Lord wholeheartedly in Numbers and in Joshua. Yeah. We also see Jesus teach his disciples that if they love their enemies and do good to them, they will be sons of the Most High. In fact, Jesus urged them to be merciful just as your father is merciful in Luke and Matthew. So, so let's, it's clear that we're supposed to follow God wholeheartedly in our life, right? But this imitation is talking about our character, right? It's talking about following God and the ethical conduct and our duty as believers. Man can't copy the full essence of God. We know that God has incommutable attributes like omnipresence, his omniscience. He can be all places at one time. He lives, he knows all things. He's omniscient. He can create things out of nothing. We can't imitate that. The Trinity is a mystery that we truly can't imitate. But he, did give, he does give us the opportunity to imitate some things, right? He has some communicable attributes or characteristics like forgiveness. We can do that. His kindness. Can we be kind? Gentleness. How about long-suffering? And most importantly, we should love. 
as we look now a little deeper at chapter 5, verse 1, it starts off with therefore, right? So therefore is telling us, let's go back. I'm not going to give you all the Greek etymology of the word, but therefore means look back. So let's look back to chapter 4. When we look back at chapter 4, if we look at verse 20 through 24, we find these words, but that is not how you came to know Christ, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth in Jesus to take off your former way of life, to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, that's broken and bent and mangled, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of the truth. Then he goes on in verse 25 through 32 to just point out these specific things we should be taking off and putting on. Imitating God requires us to change our clothes. Imitating God means we have to put off some old things and put on some new things. The Holy, Spot, the Holy Spirit empowers us to make this wardrobe change when we're transformed. The Holy Spirit transforms us, right? Romans says he, he's, we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. Following Christ to draw us away from the dark things that he talks about earlier in chapter 4 to the things of light. When we imitate Christ, we should be kind and compassionate to one another. We should forgive each other. We shouldn't steal if we're a thief, right? The thief should steal no more. We should put away lies for truth. Anger shouldn't cause us to sin. So that, of course, begs the question, how well are you imitating God? How closely do we represent Christ? You know, I was watching a documentary. I love documentaries. I watched the Weather Channel, I will admit. I like the Weather Channel. And, uh, and I like football, so they had the perfect documentary of uh, the worst weather in football games. That was a documentary. It's crazy. I couldn't believe it myself. But I'm watching it. There's one of these games that was so old. I don't even think they had face masks. They were playing. And it was just a torrential downpour. The rain is over. And now they're playing this game. And they're so muddy, you can't even distinguish, like, which team is which. They're just running around hitting each other. Um, just a mud bath. Well, when we imitating God, we can't allow the mud of the world to cover our uniform. We always have to be clearly visible as Christians. We always have to be different. We have to be distinguishable. When our lives like football uniforms are soiled with sin, we have to wash to be made clean. How do we do that? Through confession and repentance. Christians are called to stand out as children of God. We are called to change the culture, not to conform to it. Imitating God means walking in love like Jesus walked in love when he was on the earth. What did Jesus do when he was on the earth? He fed the hungry. Jesus healed the sick. Jesus was the purest picture of humility. Why? Because not only did he give up his position in the Godhead, he wasn't born to a mansion. He was born to a barn. He was homeless, and he was buried in a borrowed tomb. Jesus valued every member of society. There's so many examples of the way he addressed women in public. He spoke to them thoughtfully, and he addressed them. He, he spoke up for the oppressed. I love Matthew 14 where it talks about how he saw the people and he felt for them. He knew they needed to eat, so he fed them. He had compassion for the poor. And the ultimate act of love that Jesus had was to die on the cross for us. Christ walked out his love in his very existence. I love Philippians 2. It says uh, the, existing, the existing form of God, when it describes who he is, he didn't consider equality with God as something to be exploited because we know he is equal with God. Instead, he emptied himself. And not only just emptied himself, if you walk through that passage, even in Philippians, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. He took on the likeness of humanity. He made it clear that he was one of us, right? He put on flesh so we would have something to imitate. That's how much God loves us. 
And when he, when he had come as man, he humbled himself by be, being obedient to the point of death, right? He could have just died, but he died a humiliating death on the cross for us. That's how much he loved us. That's how he walked it out. So if we're going to answer the call to imitate God, we have to know we are loved. We have to walk out love. And then finally, we have to die for love. Verse 2 closes with a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Well, Paul tells us that this act of love was sacrificial and fragrant. His heavenly father took pleasure in his sacrifice. How do we know that? Uh, once again, I mean, the word is clear in Isaiah 53, yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. He was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a guilt offering, he will see a seed. He will prolong his days, and by his hand, the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. The Lord's plan was accomplished on the cross. Why is it called a fragrant offering to God? It implies that it smelled good to God, like perfume or a, a pleasant home-cooked meal. God approved and he approved this sacrifice. And sacrifice is important to God. You know, as you study the Old, Old Testament, the, uh, the, there's very specific rules about, I think even, even in uh, one of the sermons recently, I think Pastor Kurt was talking about the rules about the temple and how the priest would have to tie a rope around, right, to pull him out if he's disobedient. God is serious about sacrifice, even more so the actual sacrifice, right? It had to be a ram without blemish. It had to give all a pleasant aroma, so it couldn't just be haphazard and done that. We see in Genesis 4, the first example of a sacrifice that wasn't pleasing to God, in the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. Some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the first fruit or firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious, and he looked despondent. To be an acceptable sacrifice to God, we can't give him leftovers, right? We can't just, he can't be an afterthought for us. We have to give him our first fruits, the fat portions of our offering. To be acceptable living sacrifice to God, we must have the right actions and the right attitude. And that's who Jesus was. Jesus was a, he was, the, the, the Bible says Jesus was tempted in every way, yet without sin. He was perfect. He was the perfect ram without blemish who could, who could please God by his sacrifice on the cross. We see all the time in our so-called service to God, and, the, and the, the call that we have many times isn't even about sacrifice. I'm just talking service, right? Just work. Like so many times you hear people talk about the issues they have, and, and some of it is just reaping and sowing, right? If you do one thing, if I'm broke, and I'll say that for me, if I'm broke at the end of the month, it's my budget. That's not the Lord. He provided for me, right? So many times what we're talking about is not even sacrifice. We can't even do service well, right? God's not calling us to die anymore. He did that for us, right? Christ died on the cross. But, but what, if, what if we just died to our flesh? What if we just made choices that preferred others over ourselves? God's not pleased with a thoughtless sacrifice. Later in the Old Testament, we talk, I talked about in the Old Testament how the sacrifices weren't pleasing to God. The aroma was bad. We have those issues. But we can't do that now. How much thought do we give to the sacrifices and services do we have? Let's think about some of the ways that now, as we come back strong, are we chronically showing up late when we got to serve, right? Are we making time a priority? Are we making the Lord's house, the work of the Lord a priority? Are we showing up late to serve on Sunday or to participate in the activities that we try to do together? 
Do we serve with a pleasant attitude? What's our aroma, right? Or do we stink when we show up to church, right? We, we want to we volunteer to, to, to greet people, and I'm not, the, our hospitality team is amazing, so that's not what I'm talking about. This, this is somewhere else. But, it, but if you got issues with people, don't get on hospitality. Don't get on security, right? If you got violent tendencies, do something else. Don't get, and, and giving. I mean, many times we think about giving as giving of our treasure, but how do we give of our time? How do we give personally? When we see a need, do we try to meet the need? Do we do that? Uh, do we give a coat? My wife and I always have a joke about uh, um, how, how it's pleasant to give. You want to be generous, but there's nothing worse. I don't know if anybody's ever been given something by somebody, and then you feel how hard it was for them to do it. Like if you if you cold, the, the, the example we use, like, I'm cold, I need a coat. You give me a coat, but you stand there shivering the whole time. Let me know you're cold. So it's like we're not to give in that way. We should give. Don't give begrudgingly. Uh, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. That's not how Jesus sacrificed. When we see him on the cross, what do we see Jesus do? We see regret on the cross. Do we, do we see him saying, you know, uh, um, uh, Lord, this is over. This is too much. I don't want this. Was he complaining about the temperature? Was he complaining about the way he was treated? No, Jesus was looking down. He was saying, forgive them. He was on mission even on the cross. He worked out all his issues and became obedient at the garden. When he got there, he was on mission. Not only was he not only was he, he forgiven them, he was also looking out for his mother. He was looking out for his servant John. He was making sure that the salvation was secured for a man who believed on him as he was dying. Jesus was on mission all the way. He sacrificed. He suffered. He gave himself up and died, but he did it all the right way. The reason we're commanded by Paul to walk like Jesus walked is because he walked, he walked the walk that we talk about, but it's difficult to imitate. If we read the gospel and see what he did, we can admire Jesus, right, in so many ways. But we don't want to imitate. It's hard to die. And like I said, the physical death is not what it requires of us, but it's hard to die to our flesh. We naturally want to be selfish and get what we want, but the Lord calls us to surrender our flesh to him. He says that if we love him, we should keep his commandments, that obedience is better than sacrifice. That's why the scripture says no one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. Well, Jesus was committed to losing his life in order to save us. So if we're going to be imitators of God, we must also be willing to die for love. So not only are we to know we are loved, we should walk in love, but finally we got to die for love. The last thing we need to do to, try to put these, these, uh, these steps into place really come down to three things. I've made an acronym for them called TAP, T-A-P, and that's to give time attention, and practice. Uh, looking back at the example I used for my own kids earlier, uh, it's obvious that I was spending time with them, right, for them to observe that my finger was bent or broken in order for them to imitate it. So time, there's no substitute for time. Many times we you also say, uh, I think one of the first lessons I learned becoming a parent was you can't schedule quality time. Quality time comes within the multitude of of the quantity of time. So if you're not spending time, you can't say, hey, this is gonna be the time that it's gonna be quality. This, sit down, it's gonna be quality time. That's not the way it works. You spend time and that, that, uh, that, that occasional, one, the, uh, the greatest memory I have, even from, from being a father, is, is having a conversation with my son because it was pizza and wing night and we're going to get pizza and wings and he brings up a topic. I'm like, are we really talking about this now? But it was just pizza and wing night. But deep conversations come out of spending the quantity of time with each other. And through, this, through the sad events 
I talked about uh, this being a month anniversary of my dad's passing. Even the way he passed has taught me so much about the value of time. Um, the, uh, many of you know sort of the details of his passing, but it was, it was unexpected. He always said, I'm going to live to be 100 years old, right? He was looking forward to uh, turning 87 in August, and my parents would have been married 60 years next month. And he fell. He's fallen before. But the, there's something about the Holy, the Holy Spirit was just pressing on me to go to go, to get there, don't delay. And I'm so glad I did because basically the last three days where he was coherent, where he could, we could talk and I could relate to him, I was able to get those last three days. Um, I, I think back at, um, at a scripture now, it's uh, James 4:13. it says, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will travel to such a city. How about that? You know, how many times do we just take for granted that we're gonna do something, that we put a, a, a trip on the calendar and it's just gonna happen, right? We take for granted that we're going to do it. But James says, he says to such a such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are like vapor and appears for a little while and then vanishes. It's really sinful for us to take for granted that God has power over all things and that we have the next moment. We don't have control over that. So it's important for us to value every moment that we have, to spend time. Don't sacrifice time. That's so important. The uh, great example in the Bible of that is when Jesus was passing through Mary and Martha's town, and he stopped by at their house. And uh, many of you know that story as well, but Martha was um, uh, basically trying to get the logistics of the house together, right? She's working it out, making sure everybody's where they're supposed to be, the food is placed, uh, everything is set up. And Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. Martha is upset, and she comes to Jesus, basically like, hey, can't you tell her she needs to get this together? She needs to help us. This house is a mess. We got to do this. We got to do that. And the Lord answers her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken away from her. The, the, the God in flesh is sitting in their living room, and she's worried about some lemonade being made in the kitchen, Right? <laughs> So, I mean, that's how important it is for us to spend time and recognize that, that, that we can't, it's not promised, for one, and we have to do it. But that also leads to the next thing, which is attention. Uh, if we're going to imitate God, we have to pay attention. Uh, it, I think that's, going back to that first example again, you know, we've been at Epiphany, I think, for, since uh, 2013. And uh, I've been to many of your homes, and a lot of you have been to our home. We fellowship with so many but I'm sure today might be the first day that you even realize that I got a finger that's going like sideways, right? You never noticed it. That's the power of attention. Um, so it's important to pay close attention. It's not enough just to have perfect attendance. It's not enough just to, just to fill out the, the, you know, if you're the first, there's no award. I know we, my wife's family, there's the legendary family reunion. There's always like uh, an award for the person who pays their fam, uh, family reunion assessment first. There's no award for signing up first to register for in-person worship or no award for making every life group or making every salt humanity or, or, or worship meeting, right? There's no award for that. And in, in, uh, in the point of just being there, it's about what you do with it, the attention that you pay, the attitude that you have, your disposition, and where your motivation and where your, where your meditation is. Um, that's... That's why paying close attention is so important. And what does paying close attention to God mean? It means we need to meditate in his word day and night. It means that 
We have to imitate God by putting those words in the practice, which is our next point. But if we don't know the word, then how can we practice the word? So we have to dedicate ourselves to learning what God says. And we have to put ourselves in a position to be subordinate to his word. His word has to override what our thoughts are, right? Um, so we've given our time. We pay close attention. And then the final thing we have to do is to put it into practice. Like I said, uh, there's a, a blockbuster uh, book called Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. and He contends that 10,000 hours of intensive practice is needed to uh, master complex skills like coding or playing an instrument. Uh, just even in my profession, I know that we track experience by hours. And, um, and many of you say, I don't want to fly with a pilot who's had 10 hours, right? Um, as opposed to one who's had 30,000 hours. So I kind of understand the point of practice, right? It's important to continue to practice and put things that you learn, uh, put things you learn into practice. Well, Paul is saying here in 4-6 four, uh, four, that we need to put some things into practice. I'm sorry, chapters 4 through 6. Some of the things we got to practice are husbands. We got to practice loving our wives as Christ loved the church. Wives. You got to practice respecting your husbands. There's no amens on that one. Wives, you got to practice <laughs> respecting your husbands. Uh, we all have to practice telling the truth. That's what I'm doing now. I'm telling the truth. Practice choosing sexual integrity. We have to practice choosing sexual integrity. We have to practice choosing to forgive. We have to practice sobriety. We have to practice choosing to submit. And most importantly, we got to practice to love. We've got to practice loving. There are many psychological studies, and I know all the men know that I always say, anytime I'm teaching at humanity, I say I'm an amateur psychologist because my wife is a psychologist. I learned kind of vicariously through her. But there's some psychological studies that have shown that the likelihood that you will consciously or unconsciously begin to imitate someone depends on whether you like them and agree with them. So let's consider our behavior now. We, this call to imitate God, we have to like them and we have to agree with them. In the case of God, it's love, right? Instead of like, it's love and agree. So if we did a quick survey, think about how you speak. What are your opinions? What about your behaviors? Where do you travel? How do you communicate? Who you follow on social media? Are you, are you panicked if you drop your phone and somebody sees it's unlocked, what you're looking at? Whose style do you study? Who do you emulate? Is there more evidence that you like and agree with the world or you like and agree with God? And with that said, when you're corrected, do you, do you receive a, a rebuke with humility? Do you understand it and default to what the truth says or do you just say they're haters and I'm going to do what I'm going to do? Is that what Jesus did? That's not what Jesus did. So we have to spend time if we want to imitate God. We have to give our full attention if we want to imitate God. And finally, we got to practice out our love for God and agree with his word. We will look like God when these things are reality. Well, as I close, I, I, I just want to emphasize that if you look back at, at the, this is the letter to the Ephesians. If we look back to the first chapter of this letter, it's powerful. I never really thought about this, but as I was looking at it even this morning, it says this letter was written to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at the church at Ephesus. 
So, you know, as always, it's such a positive message. We talk about God being this awesome God, this perfect parent. So uh, in the face of that, you know, you might say, oh, well, here's the catch. Well, there, there is a catch. There is a catch here. Because the truth that I've talked about only applies to those adopted children I was talking about. It only applies to those who have received the gift that Christ has given us. He's a loving father, but he's also a righteous judge. You know, so many times we hear people say today that, that only God can judge me. Well, Hebrews 3 says, or sorry, Hebrews 1031 says, it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. If you have not confessed and trusted the Lord Jesus Christ and accepted him in the pardon of your sins, don't wait another minute because none of this applies to you. The Bible is clear. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. It's simple. It's a simple thing to do. It's as simple as confession. Romans 10, you can walk down. It just says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that he rose him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's as simple as it is. All these gifts, all the benefits, the perfect parenting, all the things that you will gain are just based on your belief and your profession of faith. So if you aren't sure that you're one of those faithful saints of Jesus Christ entitled to this great inheritance and access to the only perfect parent, don't delay. If you're watching us online, connect with us. If you're here, don't leave this building until you're certain that you have accepted Jesus Christ and you trust him as your personal savior. Because when you choose to be one of God's dearly beloved children, you don't just receive the flawless, unwavering, this perfect parenting right now. See, I talked about those incommunicable characteristics, the God that we serve has, and that he, he, he's always existed. There's not a time when he won't exist. Well, this gift that he's given, this parental relationship that we're talking about is eternal. What we have now is temporal. We will all die based on our sin, based on the penalty of our sin, but the gift that God gives us is eternal. The reason that we have hope, those of us who have lost parents who believed in Jesus Christ, those who have lost friends, those, those, the, the road we're all on, right? The reason we have hope is in the resurrection because Christ was resurrected, and we also know that he shall return. And when he returns, my Bible says that he will wipe away every tear from our eye, right? He said, we'll hunger and thirst no more. Uh, that's, uh, our God is so powerful, it says that he's going to throw even death into the lake of fire. That's who our God is. And in order for us to receive that gift, in order for us to receive the parenting, the perfect parenting, to live like the old church used to say that, uh, my dad always said it's a, a, a howdy howdy and a never goodbye. Uh, the uh, amazing grace says that when we've been there 10,000 years, bright, shining as a sun, We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. So it's important that you take that step now, that you receive him, that you embrace that, that you become the child, the loving child of the perfect parent. So it's important for us to imitate God. We got to know we're loved. We got to walk in love. And finally, we got to die to love. And don't forget to tap time, attention, and practice. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this day, Lord. I thank you for, um, for your word. Uh, Lord, your word is complete. Lord, your word rescues us. It restores us better than we were before. So I just thank you for that. I thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for being a perfect parent to us. Uh, you're a parent without any break. 
Lord, you're a parent that loves, loves us, who has accepted us, because when we were yet sinners, Lord, you died for us. So I just thank you for that. I pray, Lord, that your word would go out, as, as, it, as it says in your word that you would hold to, that it would go out and not come back void, Lord, that would have reached the hearts of those. It would provoke, your Holy Spirit would provoke those who don't know you to come running. What must I do to be saved? We pray, Lord, that you would just uh, bless this house, help us to uh, continue to serve you, to give you glory in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And now's the time for communion for all of those who have accepted for his adopted children. You know, before Jesus uh, went to the cross, the Bible says on the night before he was betrayed that he took his disciples into the upper room. And when he took them there, he, he prepared a meal for them. He laid out the bread. He laid out the wine. And he said, he took the bread, it says he blessed it and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take, eat, as often you do this, in remembrance of me. Let us eat together. Then he took the wine, and he said, this wine represents my blood, which is a new covenant. As often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. All right, uh, please bow your heads again, please. I'll pray and I'll offer the benediction. Dear Lord, we just thank you once again for your sacrifice on the cross. We thank you, Lord, that we've been able to take this holy sacrament, this communion, that you continually remind us of the sacrifice you made for us, that you didn't count equality with God, a thing that be grasped, but you gave yourself up, dying a servant's death, a humiliating death on the cross for us. But the story didn't end there. You rose with all power in heaven and earth in your hands. So we just thank you right now, Lord, for all that you've done. We pray, Lord, you would go with us. We pray, Lord, you would uh, bless us and keep us. Make your face shine upon us and be gracious unto us and lift up your countenance and give us peace. Please depart in peace. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder and pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.